Well, good morning. You have uh, no doubt heard the expression, famous last words, right? You've heard this or come across this. Uh, many times we say that to someone who we think is about to make a choice or perform an action that would be unwise or have some negative consequences. Uh, famously, uh, you know, you've, you know the phrase, the famous last words of a redneck, or as around here we call it, my cue's last Facebook post. <laughs> so, but you've heard this phrase, and so we think about, you know, famous last words, and some of them are very interesting. Uh, some of them are, are accurate. Some of them can be uh, factually attributed, you know, to the person that, that they indicate they're from. Some of them we're not sure, uh, but it's kind of neat to think about, well, what if that was their last words? And so, you know, but we want to know, there's a fascination about last words, final instructions. And so we, we, we hang on those and because those last words can be significant and they can be a kind of a final lasting memory uh, about someone or about some experience. And so we're approaching Paul's last words and this letter we know is Ephesians. And in, in these last words, he talks to these Christians about spiritual warfare. And so we've been looking at this spiritual warfare. And as we've learned in, in Ephesus, Ephesus was much like our world today in being a deeply spiritual place. Now, you've got to put you know, the air quotes around spiritual, not as we talk about spiritual, as we assemble here together, but this whole conversation about the Holy Spirit was new to these people. But the, in the Greek culture, as we find here in Ephesus, was entrenched in the practice of, of magical and mystical arts and this, this whole fascination with the occult. And so much of what they understood was about these mystical practices. And so everyone in the church knew about the story of when Paul was once in Ephesus and these, these fellas, these sons of this high priest, or this priest were trying to uh, invoke Jesus' name just as Paul had been doing to cast out a demon. And so these seven sons of, of Sceva, they got whooped by this demon who, who beat them naked and sent them out in the street running because they were trying to use what, what Paul was doing. And so everybody knew that story. Everybody understood there's something going on around us that we can't necessarily see or, or sometimes don't even understand. And so when Paul starts talking here in this letter about demons and spiritual warfare, everybody moved to the front of their seat because everybody was interested because they knew something was going on they needed to know more about. So they're on the edge of their seat. And we have trouble today... I do at least, understanding and sometimes even believing in this whole idea, this whole concept of demons. And so certainly it appears when we look at Scripture that those powers of darkness operated in a different manner as Christ was walking the earth and when the apostles were, were going out and, and, and spreading the message of the gospel and planting churches all over the Mediterranean, it appears that they were operating differently then than maybe what we can, can see or understand now. And so we struggle with this. That was then, this is now. But here's the deal. You cannot adequately explain the depths and the levels of evil and the atrocities committed human against human. You cannot possibly begin to fully understand or adequately explain that except without believing the words of the Scripture. So we've got to know there's something else going on here. We may not be able to see it, like perhaps they saw it when Jesus was walking the earth. But we know there's something going on. First of all, we, we see this stuff happening. How can people do that to one another? How can people act that way? Well, we understand that because Scripture tells us. Because there's a war going on. 
There's a spiritual war going on. It's Satan versus God. And so Paul reminds us in verse 12 here in chapter 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not this surface struggle that we see and sometimes we can even touch and feel. But our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And so we understand this. And you think about it, you see the news. And so when an act of terror is committed, when something happens, what's the first thing the authorities are listening for or looking for? They're waiting and we're waiting. Who did it? We're trying to find credit, right? Somebody's going to take credit for this. And usually, whether it's, it's good or bad, somebody wants credit. People want credit for what they have done. And so if no group issues a, a claim uh, to the responsibility of that act, then we wait and we dig deeper and we search because we know it's coming. Somebody is going to fess up about what just happened here. People want credit. But here's the deal about Satan. Satan does not care if he gets credit. All Satan wants is your destruction. Satan doesn't need credit for that because the war is not between you and Satan. The war is not between me and Satan. You got it? The war is between Satan and God. Satan doesn't need credit because what he's doing is visible to the God who sees all and knows all. It's in God's face that Satan is doing what he's doing. You can call him Satan or not. He's still working and acting. Scripture tells us that. See, the war is between Satan and God. It's a battle that we can't see, but we are certainly caught up in the middle of. And because this battle is spiritual, it's beyond human perception. Which is why God has pulled the curtain back for us. And He's allowed us to see through His Word behind the scenes. He did this for the prophet Elisha. You remember this in 2 Kings chapter 6. Fabulous picture here of this event this this what i can't imagine well i can't imagine but i I want to i want to see this i want to be there and see this when this great um aramean army had surrounded the town here where the prophet was and and elisha's servant is is quaking in his sandals he's scared senseless what are we going to do we're done for and so in second Kings six and verse 16 elisha said do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so can you imagine? This, the servant's looking around saying, okay, I can't, I can't right now, I count me and you. And I see this whole mountain full of these, uh, this, this foreign army that's about to descend upon us. But Elisha says, you've got to understand, those who are for us, with us, are greater than those who are with them. And then Elisha said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Can you imagine this scene? You need to. Because that is what we've got today. The Lord is surrounding His people as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds His people. No matter how intense the battles of this life get, whether they're financial, whether they're physical, whether they're emotional, whether they're personal, whether they're spiritual, He who fights for us is greater than He who fights against us. And from the beginning of this letter, Paul has outlined the saving power and the attention of God. God's full intent is to save His people because we were lost. 
We were lost. We were defeated by this relentless enemy, this satanic enemy who wages wars against our souls. And so God did not just save us from destruction. That's a, that's a great thing. Saved us from destruction at the hands of this enemy. He did not just do that. But what He did also is He brought us into His protective kingdom. His protective presence. And so when we surrendered our lives to God through Jesus, we were saved. We were adopted. We were elevated. We were pronounced as heirs to an eternal inheritance. More than just escaping some danger. We were elevated to God's kingdom. And to ensure our protection from any further attacks from this spiritual enemy, God has clothed us in His armor. He's provided His armor for us. And so Satan attacks us on every front. But no matter those attacks, no matter how he does it, how they manifest themselves physically, the source of every attack is spiritual. It's this spiritual battle. And so the source of any formidable defense that we could possibly hope for has got to be spiritual. And so the armies of the world, the nations of the world, the little countries of the world are limited as to their prominence and their power by their own finances. They're limited by their resources. They're limited by their own ingenuity. That's why everybody's not a superpower. And that's why superpowers rise and they fall depending on who's in charge. Humanity. So nations rise and fall based on their own abilities. But in this spiritual war, in the battle for, of, of dominance for your soul and my soul, for the hearts and minds of humanity, what you or I are able to create or able to compile or conspire or contain is absolutely useless. It's useless if it depends on us. It's useless because we are human. But He who is with us is greater than He who is against us. So we must take it up because what He gives us is more than enough to withstand the attacks of this enemy. We must take it up, lay hold to it, because what God gives us does no good if we don't use it. If we ignore it, if we cast it aside, if we just put it on loosely, it's not going to fit and protect the way it was designed to. And so we wear this truth. We wear this assurance like a belt around our waist so that we can stand firm, unwavering. And we stand firm wearing the righteousness of Christ like a breastplate that protects our vital organs. Our heart protects us, keeps us, holds us fast to God, justifies us, because of Christ's righteousness before a holy God. And so we put that on. And we're not afraid in the, the, the throes of this battle because we're standing sure-footed in the peace of God, even in the middle of the battlefield. And so no matter what the fiery darts of life that Satan throws at us, no matter what they are, God has proven Himself worthy as our protector, our defeater, by faith in Christ. Christ is the shield. The shield that will extinguish all the fiery darts that Satan throws at us. See, the power of God is greater than your greatest fear. And the power of God is greater than the greatest calamity that may come into your life. And the power of God is greater than your greatest weakness. See, the power of God is displayed 
As Paul reminded us in chapter 1 and verse 20, from the beginning, this power, this power of God, He exercised, He showed, He put on full display in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. How dangerous is all of this stuff that comes at us from Satan in this world. How dangerous is it to us? as dangerous as we let it. Why? Because Christ is above it. Our conqueror is above it. When you are in war, when you are in battle, when you are trying to get the upper hand, where do you want to stand? On the highest ground. And that's where our Lord and Savior is. And He has called us, seated us, placed us there with Him. Whom shall we fear? Above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And this same power required to live a life pleasing to God is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. God gives us that same power. How much strength can we get from God? How much help can we get from God? Well, I don't know. What did it take for Him to raise Jesus from the dead? That's how much. And God, a God rich in mercy with great love for us, says, chapter 2, verse 5, even though... Hey God, did you miss this? Because I did some pretty bad things here. My heart has been everywhere except with you. I've made some choices that I'm ashamed anybody would find out about. Even though we were dead in transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. Not made us alive, and alright, I'm going to keep you over here. So you don't taint Jesus? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Why did He do this? I will live this entire earthly existence trying to understand why. And I will fully realize that at my heavenly reward as God's full display of love is poured out into eternity. By grace you are saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, it's in Christ we have access to this power. It is ours, given to us, made possible for us through Jesus Christ. That is Paul's point. First of all, know that there is good news in this entire shadow, thunderstorm, dark cloud of life. There is good news. The good news, the Gospel is Jesus Christ. So recognize how this Gospel affects your life. See, know that we have this good news and then recognize how it affects us. How it changes us. It changes our relationships. It changes our motivation. It changes our outlook. And ultimately, it changes our outcome. It changes our outcome. And so then we recognize that. And we can stand firm on this Gospel, on this good news. You've heard of the fight or flight syndrome, right? Some of you have experienced it at some point. Somebody jumps out from behind a corner of the house you know, thinking they're going to be funny. They either get punched or you run away, right? either fight or flight. We've experienced that. 
a physiological reaction. It's, it's something real that happens, that occurs in response to a harmful event or potential, an attack, a threat to our survival. Fright or flight. And essentially, this reaction prepares our body to do one of two things. Either put up and let's get at it to protect ourselves, or we run away to protect ourselves. If you're in danger, your instinct is likely to get away. It's to run. If there's danger, go the opposite way. But in life, there is nowhere to run. At least for very long. Because danger, the battle, will overtake you eventually. As long as you are breathing in this life, the battle will find you and overtake you. So you can run, but you cannot hide. So our choice, our option, is to stand. To stand firm. See, here's, here's the deal. The battle belongs to the Lord. So we can stand firm because He who is with us is greater than He who is against us. So by grace you have been saved. Through faith. Faith in what? Not in what. In whom? Faith in God. Through Jesus Christ. In the saving action of Jesus' life. And His death. And His resurrection. But that's where Satan attacks us. He attacks us there. How can you be saved when you act like that? How can you be saved? You call yourself saved. How can you be saved when you haven't done enough of this? Look how lacking you are here in this area. How can you be saved when you are who you are? How can you be saved? Well, guess what? I can't. And you can't. It's by grace. It's by grace. It's a gift of God. That even yet, while we were sinners... Christ died for us. He died for us. It's in faith in this promise of God displaces our fear. When we understand this, when we internalize this, we put this in our hearts so that we must, Paul says, take this helmet of salvation. Okay, you hear this. You understand this. Now wear it. Your salvation that God has given you. And this phrase here that he uses is different than the phrase you find in verse 13 or even verse 16 where he says, take, take this shield, take this up. But here he says, take this helmet. See, we've been instructed up to this point to fasten and to, to, to put on and to fit and taking the armor of God. But in verse 17, this word taking is different than those other words. It's the same in English, but it's different in the original. This word the first words take meant that this armor's laid out. So you've got this, God lays this armor out and we've got to pick it up and put it on. But when we come to the helmet, this word take is it's handed to us. See, salvation is not something we can take. It's got to be given. So Paul reminds us, take what is given and put it on. Live your life because you are saved. You can stand firm. This helmet of salvation. So you think about it's being handed to you by someone else as a soldier would prepare for battle. So Paul's imagining this. And so you know, the soldier would go down the line here in the armament and they would, they would fit themselves with all the different pieces of armor. But when it came to the end, they're clunking around with all this armor. You can't bend down or bend over and pick something up. So your armor bearer hands you or places your helmet on your head. 
We're going through this Christian life preparing for this battle. Our armor bearer, Jesus Christ, has given us, has placed on us this helmet of salvation. And He says, wear it. So there's a sense of these two things here. The helmet of salvation, as we'll see, the sword of the Spirit, are not something we lift up, something that's given to us, something that's placed on us. Because why? This is the armor of God, right? It's his, God's armor, this giftedness that we find in it being given to us as a gift, handed by our armor bearer, Jesus Christ. This is a sense that we're not going into battle on our own confidence. Whew, I hope, I hope I can get through this. I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm strong enough. I hope I can... No, Paul says it's, it's, it's God's armor. So you can stand firm knowing that you are fitted with the armor of God. That's how we stand, not our confidence. Because if I try to stand on my own confidence, if I try to stand on this spiritual life, on my own accomplishments, my own feeling of worth, the question is not fright or flight. The question is, my, my, my famous words are, are move over or get out of the way or get run over. Because I'm running. I'm fleeing. I'm getting out of here. Because it's not within me. I don't have it. I can't do it alone. See, we're not standing on our own strength. We have adorned ourselves. We have put on God's armor. So we're not alone against this enemy. And when it feels that way sometimes, we need to bow our heads, hit our knees and say, Lord, remind me. Open my eyes that I may see the fiery army around me that you have put here to hold back this army of Satan for the time when he receives his final and full destruction. See, God's not a message. God is not some message. He's not some wonderful, warm, comforting thought. God is not faith. God is not faith. God is our salvation. He is our salvation and it's our faith in God, faith in Him that keeps us standing. It's His presence in our life. His dwelling within us. His comforting assurance by His very existence that He provides the means for us to stand. So having done everything to stand. So why should you not be unsettled if you wear the helmet of salvation? Why should I not let this get to me if I've got the helmet of salvation on? Well, can I repeat it? Because ultimately, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's our victor. This, this life that we're living right now, this is victory ground. And in Jesus Christ, we're here this morning on full display as a victory celebration. This is a victory march as we are marching to eternity. Why? How? Because of Jesus Christ. Full display. This is the victory armor. And I, that helmet is our salvation. Our salvation in Jesus Christ. And it preserves us from surrender. It preserves us from retreat. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? So what has Paul been praying for? What did he pray for earlier? Chapter 3 and verse 16, I pray that according to the wealth of His glory that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner person. That you may get this. And that you may be strengthened by it. Is what Paul is saying here. Know this. Hear this. Internalize it. Live it. And let it strengthen you. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up. How far? Ankle deep? Knee deep? Let's go waist deep into this whole thing that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. God overflows into our lives. We're the ones that turn off the faucet. See, when we consider ourselves dead to sin but alive to God, we eliminate so many opportunities Satan uses to entrap us. When we get that, I'm dead to sin because I'm alive to God. So guess what? When I begin to to internalize that and live that, when that becomes my, my forethought, And my foremost thought, I am dead to sin. Guess what? Satan has just lost one of his strongest footholds in my life. So when choosing sin is no longer an option for us, I don't even choose it. I'm running away from it. I'm done with this. When it's no longer an option because we recognize ourselves to be new creatures, created as a new creation in Jesus Christ, then we effectively cut off so many avenues of failure. It's a huge flag wave here in Ephesians. Were we created in Jesus Christ for fear and for anxiety? Is that why we were made this new creation? Were we created in Jesus Christ for fear and anxiety? Have we been raised in Jesus Christ for doubt and for regret? Is that why God has raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places so that we can have doubt and regret? Is that why? Has God seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus as spectators to life? Hey, we got this. We can sit back and watch everybody else struggle through this. Is that why we have been raised with Christ? We were created in Jesus Christ for what? Division and finger pointing? Am I a new creature in Christ so I can point out the faults of all my brothers and sisters and what I don't like about how they're living their lives and the choices they make? Is that why you were raised up in Christ as a new creature? Paul says, for we are His workmanship. And that word we looked at is God forming us like a poem, an artist, forming us in His own hands, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. See, God has not only prepared us for good works, He prepared the good works. How about that? He didn't just train us for something. He gave us something to do. He gave us a life to live. And so Satan hates this. Hates it. And does whatever he can to interfere and disrupt these good works. And he does it in you. And he does it through me. And he does it through the church. But God. But God has accomplished this victory so that we can continue in these good works without fear, without doubt, without anxiety, without regret, without infighting. See, much of what derails us in life is the attention, the too much attention on how life affects us personally. It's too much me. It's my loss. My failure. My hurt. My struggle. 
See, that's what derails me. It's what derails you too. It's us. See, when we take the helmet of salvation, we can know, just as Paul knows. He wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 38, For I am convinced... Hang on a second, let me think this over. All right, let's see. Maybe, uh, well, if I... I am convinced. He's not wavering here. Why is he convinced? Because he has been given the same spirit of life in Jesus Christ that we have. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, what's going on in my life today, nor what I don't know what's coming tomorrow, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is that assurance that allows us, helps us, secures us in standing firm and having done everything to stand. And it's this assurance of salvation that allows us to focus on those around us who are not standing firm. Those who are struggling. Those who are wavering. Those who don't have access to the armor of God. See, it's God's helmet of salvation that secures our mind. It secures our our thoughts. allows us to set our mind on things above. Not on earthly things. Because there's a battlefield. There's the battlefield. It's the mind. It's our spiritual heart. The mind of humanity is where Satan is waging his war. Your mind. My mind. And Satan wants us to never mind. Forget about it. See, that's the battle. My way or God's way. Every day. Every day. That's the battle. But see, here's the thing. If you have put on Christ in baptism, you have received the armor of God. You took that up. You have God's salvation promise in Jesus Christ. Live it. Let it be the, the, the purpose of your life to live out this salvation and everything that you do and you say and the relationships that you build. The people that you talk to and what you say to them about that relationship. Let it be your life. And maybe somewhere along the way you let something get a little loose. Something got a little loose and jingled till it fell off. And now you're exposed somewhere in your life. Well, guess what? You still have the armor of God. You just got to pick it up. You got to shore it up. You got to tighten it up. And it may very well be that you need to repent of something. A sin in your life that has allowed Satan to, to find a new inroad or an old inroad that he's been waiting for. Because guess what? That same blood that cleansed you when you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord is the same blood that continually cleanses you when you repent of that sin and you turn back to God. And if you have not put on Christ in baptism, you are fighting a losing battle. Because the battle you are fighting depends on you. And how's that been going? 
How's that been going? I don't know how it's been going specifically for you, but I do know Scripture tells me where it's going. It's going down the road of destruction. Because no one comes to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. By which we must be saved. By which we can be saved. Except Jesus Christ. Will you confess Him today as your Lord and Savior? Will you repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? To be washed clean, to be added, to be created as Paul has written and reminded us here in Ephesians as this new creation brought together with these brothers and sisters as the body of Christ to receive God's armor and receive His Spirit to guide you and walk with you, encourage you, remind you of your heavenly promise of eternity. What about today? Can we help you by praying for you, encouraging you, strengthening you as we can in our human abilities as your brothers and sisters in Christ this morning? If you have a need today, we're going to stand and sing a song as we think about where are we in this spiritual battle and where do we need the most assurance from God? Will you come today if we can help you in any way while we stand and sing?